This episode contains depictions of body horror and allusions to sexual assault. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13. The following is from The Hell Screen by Ryunosuke Akutagawa. The apprentice forgot about mixing colors and took a furtive glance at his master's face. The wrinkled face had turned pale, oozing large drops of perspiration. His mouth was wide open as if gasping for breath, with his sparse teeth showing between dry lips. The thing, moving briskly in his mouth as if pulled by a string or a wire, was his tongue. Disconnected words, of course, came out of his mouth. Hmm, it's you. I expected it might be you. Have you come to meet me? So come, come to hell. In hell, my daughter is waiting for me. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. In this series, we reimagine ghostly tales from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This week, we continue our month of stories about haunted artists with a tale from Japan. Today's adaptation is part one of The Hell Screen, written by early 20th century Japanese author Ryonosuke Akutagawa. Akutagawa is perhaps most famous for his short stories In a Bamboo Grove and Rashomon, which inspired Akira Kurosawa's classic film of the same name. Their macabre narratives full of vivid, stylistic prose, and the hell screen is no exception. Published serially in 1918, the story follows Yoshihide, the empire's greatest artist, as he tackles the most daunting task of his career, painting a realistic depiction of hell. But to do so, Yoshihide must avail himself to the deepest depths of his own hell and risk losing himself in the process. Coming up, the artist becomes a conduit for evil forces. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. It was a gorgeous spring day in Horikawa. The sun was shining in the palace courtyard, and the trees were in full bloom, delighting the gathered crowd. But they weren't there to take in the perfume of the cherry blossoms. They had come to appreciate the latest masterpiece from Yoshihide, 
the great artist. They murmured amongst themselves, guessing at what the covered artwork might depict. Some feared it would be grotesque or sinister, as Yoshihide's work tended to skew toward the wicked. In fact, villagers often speculated that the painter practiced dark arts. His most impressive tableaus featured immaculately rendered scenes of torture and violence. Rumor had it that several people died of mysterious causes after modeling for him. The man himself stood on the elevated entrance beside the painting. His back was to the crowd, showing open contempt for his audience. And the feeling was mutual. Though he was an extremely gifted artist, Yoshihide was disliked by the people of Horikawa. A leathery, mean-looking man, villagers called him Monkey Hide behind his back. Today, Yoshihide couldn't care less what they called him. He was looking toward the palace, searching for the only person he cared to see. His daughter, Yuzuki. The crowd fell silent and bowed as the Grand Lord of Horikawa emerged from the palace. Dressed as always in the finest silks, Lord Nakamura lived for opulence. But today, he'd invited the commoners to the palace to share the luxury of fine art. Everyone held their bows, waiting for their lord to speak. But he remained silent, because one person still had not bowed to him. The artist, Yoshihide. The lord locked eyes with Yoshihide, silently commanding his deference. But the artist had little use for customs, especially when he was agitated. He called to the lord, Where is my daughter? She is not your possession to lock away from the world. But Lord Nakamura said nothing. He stared at Yoshihide, eyes narrowed, until finally, after a long moment of defiance, the artist bitterly bowed. Satisfied, the Lord turned to the crowd and announced, Behold, Horikawa's newest treasure. Palace attendants unveiled Yoshihide's artwork, a tremendous painting depicting a cherub turning winter to spring. In it, Horikawa's bridge was frosted over and snow lined the river's edge. At the cherub's touch, the cherry trees blossomed and the water lilies bloomed. The scene was magical, yet astonishingly realistic. The colors and forms leapt from the canvas as if the artist breathed life into them. Lord Nakamura was clearly pleased. Always the politician, he beamed at the crowd, making a show of his approval. He then turned to Yoshihide. You have exceeded my high expectations. To show my appreciation, I will grant you any request. Without hesitation, Yoshihide said, I want you to release my daughter from your service. The crowd was taken aback by the artist's boldness. It was well known that Yoshihide's teenage daughter was a maid in the palace, one of the Lord's favorites. To make such a request was an affront to their benevolent Lord. For a long time, Lord Nakamura stared silently at Yoshihide, as if to once again cow him into submission. 
but the artist glared back, unafraid. Then, he seized his opportunity. Yoshihide turned to the crowd and announced, This man is holding my daughter captive. He's made sexual advances toward her, a 15-year-old girl. He is no noble lord, but a lecherous beast. In an instant, the audience turned on Yoshihide. He had always been arrogant, unkind, and shamelessly self-interested. But accusing their beloved leader of depravity was a bridge too far. Palace guards rushed to remove Yoshihide from the grounds, but Nakamura held up his hand to stop them. Finally, the Lord spoke. He told Yoshihide, Yuzuki is worth far more than one magnificent painting. If you want your daughter back, you'll have to paint something else for me, and I will choose the subject. I can paint anything, Yoshihide declared. Lord Nakamura smiled. If that's true, I want you to paint me a realistic depiction of hell. The request seemed innocuous enough to the crowd, but they did not know the threat that lay beneath it. Lord Nakamura knew all about Yoshihide's creative process from Yuzuki. The artist committed to his projects with his mind, body, and soul. If Yoshihide accepted this commission, Nakamura knew he was sentencing the artist to spend a year in hell. Before Yoshihide could respond, he saw Yuzuki's face appear in a window of the palace. She raised her hand, a silent plea to her father. Whatever it takes, the artist growled. He understood Lord Nakamura's game. But the Lord underestimated Yoshihide's love for his daughter. He would do anything to set her free. So if he wanted hell, Yoshihide would give it to him. When Yoshihide arrived back at his studio, he breezed past his waiting apprentices and got to work. He sequestered himself in his inner chamber and set up fresh paper on a dozen easels. Then he picked up a sharp piece of charcoal and closed his eyes, focusing on the seemingly insurmountable task at hand. In order to faithfully represent hell, he would somehow have to tap into a primal, evil energy. He'd need to allow it to breathe life into the arts through his mind and his hands. The most difficult part of this undertaking wouldn't be the painting. It would be becoming a conduit to the underworld. Yoshihide thought about Buddhist teachings. Specifically, he imagined Mugen Jigoku, the deepest circle of hell which housed the most violent and depraved souls. According to certain scholars, Mugen Jigoku was so terrible that it could never be accurately described. If an author ever found a way to do it justice with words, they would die merely from the horror of writing about it. Yoshihide was just the artist to paint it. He set his mind to conjure the most horrifying imagery he could imagine. He sketched a mountain of swords, a river of lava, and a forest of snakes to comprise the landscape of hell. 
He knew he was on the right path when he could feel the sharp edges of the swords, the blistering heat of the lava, and the venomous fangs of the snakes leaping off the page. Before he knew it, Yoshihide had entered a trance-like state. He drew for hours, stopping only to replace his charcoal when it grew dull. Soon, his hand cramped, his arm burned, his fingers blistered. Still, he could not stop sketching. He drew kings of hell, presiding over the suffering of the damned. Outcasts, nobility and priests writhing in agony. Cursed souls maimed by weapons. Predators feasting on charred remains. And what would become the centerpiece? A falling carriage consumed by flames as a noblewoman burned alive inside. Yoshihide was so caught up in his work that he didn't even sense he was being watched. And not just by his apprentices. At times, in the dim light of the studio, it seemed as if the shadow of the portrait moved on its own. A silent companion watching over the artist's work. After days without food, water, or rest, Yoshihide finally stepped back and took in the hundreds of sketches that lined his chamber. Pleased, he muttered to himself, I've done it. I've conjured hell. Now all he had to do was bring it to life. Before the artist began the daunting process of composing and painting the hell screen, he decided to pay his daughter a visit. Yoshihide knew Yuzuki was usually outside washing laundry in the afternoons. He hoped to speak to her without anyone noticing. As he approached the imposing palace, he carefully circled the perimeter to avoid detection. Yoshihide hid behind a large hinoki tree and peered toward the brook. What he saw twisted his stomach and filled him with rage. It was Yuzuki crying as she washed a bloodstain from her bedding. Abandoning all caution, Yoshihide emerged from the trees and ran to his daughter. He needed to be close to her to protect her. When Yuzuki saw him, she sprang to her feet and rushed toward him. They embraced and she sobbed into his chest. I didn't know when I would see you again. They forbid me from attending your unveiling and from leaving the palace grounds. I can't stay here any longer, please. I want to go home. Yoshihide smoothed Yuzuki's hair and whispered to her, Don't worry, my sweet girl. You won't have to stay in this prison much longer. The Lord will release you once I complete my next painting. I made him swear to it. Their reunion was interrupted moments later by two palace guards. Each of them grabbed one of Yoshihide's arms. As they forcefully dragged him off, he cried, I'm going to get you out of here, Yuzuki. I'm going to set you free. Coming up, Yoshihide's demons take over. Love. It's been the subject of poems, novels, music, and film. 
It's also been the driving force behind some of the most horrendous crimes in history. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Join me for season two of Criminal Couples and meet the lovers who took their passion to perilous lengths. Featuring standout episodes from female criminals, serial killers, solved murders, and crimes of passion, this season of Criminal Couples gets to the heart of what makes two turn to a life of murderous crime. Some couples were set off by revenge or greed. Others were fueled by sex and drugs. All acted in the name of love. Discover the darker side of desire in season two of the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Follow for free and tune in every Monday, only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Now, back to the story. Yoshihide was filled with renewed determination as the palace guards dragged him away from Yuzuki. His daughter cried after him, but as Yoshihide watched, she was ushered into the palace, her prison. Yoshihide returned to his studio at once. If a rendering of hell is what Lord Nakamura required for Yuzuki's freedom, then Yoshihide was prepared to work relentlessly until the hell screen was complete. Yoshihide isolated himself in his studio's inner chamber and forbade everyone, even his apprentices, from entering. He threw out his clock and blocked the chamber windows so that no sunlight could seep in. To complete this piece, he needed to exist outside of time. Yoshihide selected a large, empty canvas and sat before it. He watched the firelight dance on the blank screen and felt himself fill with otherworldly inspiration. He stood and picked up a fresh piece of charcoal, prepared to combine his hundreds of sketches into one cohesive hellscape. Yoshihide drew tirelessly until the entire scene came together, a blazing symphony of torment and anguish. Now, finally, he was ready to paint. Over the next few weeks, Yoshihide threw his mind, body, and soul into the hell screen. With each brushstroke, the tormented souls on the canvas seemed to reach out further, begging for help that would never come. And as the details came into focus, Yoshihide sensed that he was no longer the artist, merely the vessel for some greater, darker source. But what it was, he did not know. Yoshihide's silent, shadowed companion camouflaged itself in dancing firelight. It stood sentinel over the hell screen, commanding Yoshihide's every brushstroke. One day, Yoshihide was mixing colors to get the grayish-purple hue of a long-dead corpse. But no matter what he blended, he couldn't seem to achieve the right color. Yoshihide had hit a creative block. He reasoned that he wasn't taking good enough care of himself, so he tried to sleep. But as soon as he closed his eyes, 
the horrific imagery he'd been painting tormented him. But the living shadow knew exactly what the artist needed. For the first time, it whispered in Yoshihide's ear. It said, Go outside. After weeks of isolation in a darkened room, Yoshihide's mind had played all kinds of tricks on him. So he accepted the Phantom's command as his own thought. He grabbed his coat and exited the studio. It was a moonlit night and not a soul was around, just as Yoshihide liked it. He decided to walk until his creative spark returned. He didn't have to wait long. Shortly into his journey, he witnessed an inspiring sight. Beside the road lay a pile of human remains, plague victims awaiting cremation. A flock of vultures was feasting on their dead flesh. The artist couldn't take his eyes from the birds as they ripped muscle from bone. He felt drawn to them, as if pulled by an invisible force. Even stranger, the vultures didn't seem to mind the man's presence. It was almost like they accepted him as one of their own. Now only an arm's length away, a transfixed Yoshihide examined the display from every angle. He pulled a sketch pad from his coat pocket and began drawing the vultures devouring the carrion. But his artist's rendering was suddenly interrupted. A large black cat pounced on the flock of vultures. The birds took to the skies, but one of them wasn't fast enough. The predator caught the bird by its neck. Incapacitated but still alive, the vulture flopped about helplessly in the feline's vice-like jaws. But rather than going in for the kill, the cat playfully swung the bird back and forth, tossing it in the air, indifferent to its suffering. Finally, the predator put the bird out of its misery, ripping it to bloody shreds before Yoshihide's eyes. Witnessing the vicious killing was exactly what the artist needed. In such a small act, he saw the cruel torments awaiting in hell. He hurried home, desperate to sustain the momentum building in his mind. While the atmosphere of Yoshihide's innermost studio grew darker and darker, the same could not be said of his outer chambers. Since their master had begun his work on the hell screen, Yoshihide's apprentices had been enjoying themselves. With Yoshihide preoccupied, they were free to paint their own pieces. The studio had been downright cheerful in his absence. The students, Akio, Haru, and Goro, exchanged jokes with each other as they worked on adjacent canvases. They felt safe as long as the spare paints were mixed and they kept an eye on Yoshihide's door. But all their lightness evaporated one morning when Yoshihide burst out of his inner chamber in an agitated state. His apprentices shrank back. There was no telling what kinds of abuse his mood would bring. Akio attempted to hide behind his canvas, inadvertently sealing his own fate. His elbow bumped one of his brushes, sending it and the canvas clattering to the floor. Like a tiger, 
Yoshihide was upon him, dragging the sweating apprentice back into his inner chamber as the young man stammered apologies. Once they were inside, Yoshihide gave Akio a nobleman sashiko to wear and waited impatiently while he dressed. It was not uncommon for the artist to ask his apprentices to model for him, but the darkness in his eyes made Akio wary. Yoshihide posed the apprentice on his knees with his face and arms reaching toward the sky. He instructed Akio to look as if he were pleading for mercy. The apprentice did his best to hold his position while the artist painted. But after an hour, Akio's body failed him. His arms went numb and fell limply to his sides. Yoshihide's reaction was swift and fierce. He threw his paint palette and knocked over canvases in rage. He hurled insults at Akio until the apprentice ran out of the studio crying. Not long after, Yoshihide once again emerged from his inner chamber. The other apprentices cowered. You there! Yoshihide barked, pointing at Haru. Follow me! To Haru's surprise, Yoshihide explained that he wanted to sleep and for Haru to watch over him. Haru agreed, grateful for an easy task and one where his volatile master would be unconscious. Rather than retire to his bed, Yoshihide laid at the foot of the hell screen. He surrounded himself with discarded charcoal sketches as if making a nest. His behavior made the apprentice uneasy, but Haru had come to expect the unexpected from his master. As soon as Yoshihide fell asleep, Haru felt himself relax. He looked around the cluttered studio, letting his mind wander. But his tranquility was short-lived. Yoshihide began moaning and thrashing about. All of the color drained from his face and he began to sweat profusely. Still, he didn't wake. Yoshihide's dry mouth fell open. His tongue writhed between his teeth, moving as if it were possessed. Haru recoiled in revulsion. Then, Yoshihide spoke. But Haru somehow doubted the words were his master's. The voice sounded nothing like Yoshihide. It was raspy and strangely thick, as if it was unused to speaking in a human mouth. The sleeping artist said, you. You are in my mind. How did you get there? You knew I needed you. There's a carriage waiting. A carriage with only one destination. Of course. Oh yes. I will join my daughter in hell. Haru jumped as a shadow passed over the hell screen. Panicking, he shook Yoshihide by the shoulders, but his master wouldn't wake. The shadow seemed to grow in size until it was in danger of swallowing the studio whole, drenching them in darkness. Blood pounded in Haru's ears. Suddenly, the artist sprang up, alert, and the studio 
was just a studio once more. Haru tried to tell Yoshihide about the shadow, but Yoshihide just stared at him blankly. He told the boy, I need to work. Take off your clothes. Haru reluctantly complied. Asking his apprentices to pose nude wasn't unusual for the artist. But after witnessing Yoshihide's bizarre behavior, Haru was afraid of what else he was capable of in this state. Once the apprentice had stripped, Yoshihide stepped back and took in Haru's appearance. Then he started pacing and gnashing his teeth on his paintbrush. The apprentice needed something, he muttered to himself. But what? The answer came to him when he spotted heavy chains lying amidst a pile of props on the floor. In a cold voice, he told Haru to wrap himself in them. Haru's hands trembled as he reached for the chains. Sensing his apprentice's apprehension, Yoshihide grew outrage. He leapt at the boy, forcefully wrapping the chains around his chest, then bound his skinny elbows behind his back as tightly as he could. Still not satisfied, Yoshihide pushed Haru to the ground and rolled him onto his stomach. The artist wrenched the boy's legs backward and chained his feet to his hands. Then Yoshihide stepped on the apprentice's back, holding the boy's torso down as he bound all four of his strained limbs together. Haru cried out in pain, but his distress only seemed to fuel Yoshihide as he continued binding the boy. There, he growled, don't move. Just then, something stirred in the air beside Yoshihide's ears. A voice spoke to him, ghostly but clear. Pull them tighter. Yoshihide complied. He forced the boy's legs so far back he felt the muscles tear. Haru screamed, but Yoshihide only stepped on his ribs again, forcing the wind from his lungs. If he had to pull the boy apart, he would. If he had to break every bone in his body, he would. He would listen to whatever the voice instructed. If freeing his daughter meant dragging others to hell, Yoshihide would do it with pleasure. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with part two of our adaptation of Ryonosuke Akutagawa's The Hell Screen. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Janelle Malik, with writing assistance by Robert Teamstra and Alex Garland, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. It's been said that love is a many-splendored thing. That is, until it's not. 
In season two of Criminal Couples, discover true stories of couples who turned their love lives into a life of crime. Lies and deceit are just the beginning. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Catch new episodes every Monday, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.